0: Hello, guys. Welcome back to The Treatment Room. I'm your host, Tessa Zali. I am so excited. We're in for a treat today. We have the fabulous Olga Lorenzen joining us. She is a celebrity esthetician and skincare guru with her own product line. Hi, Olga. Welcome to the show. Hi, Hi, guys. guys. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us, Olga. I'm so excited to learn more about you. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from to start?
1: Uh, hi, everyone. Well, um, I am formerly from former, U- I mean, from former Yugoslavia, and I came to United States almost thirty years ago. And um, I wasn't planning to be a statistician originally. I was actually a student in political science, but my um, hobby at that time was all things skincare treatments, products, I mean, you name it. So when I came to United States, it was just kind of natural that I would go that route because I was always very acneic, had very oily skin, and I used to having really good treatments back home. And then when I came to United States, uh, it wasn't the case. I felt like treatments were so-so and just substandard. So I was like, well, I'm going to do this because for me, I couldn't really afford to go back to university and study political science once when I came here. So I found another profession that I was super passionate about and, uh, and I still love it. I don't really do facials per se that much. My books are kind of closed. I do maybe, I don't know, you know, 35 clients here and there. And during COVID, I definitely closed down my book. Not because of COVID so much, although of course in California we were totally shut down. But because I really needed the time to concentrate on some R and D and and take care of my product line, which was always a little bit neglected when I was in the treatment room. So, um, so I've been doing this for a very, very long time, and um, and skincare is a is a fascinating and great place. Unfortunately, today is populated with a lot of phony skincare line, estheticians who want to learn something in three days and be on Instagram. I don't think that's really the way we should go about it. But it still is a most amazing profession. Uh, it's rewarding. Uh, it's challenging. You can always learn something if you want to. Um, so, that's, um, you know, I, I had a Kinara skincare clinic and spa on Robertson Boulevard for 15 years. I used to work for Lula Hendrickson. So I, you know, my career spans over 23 years. And uh, and so, but most of those 23 years I spent in the treatment room and also doing R&D for products. So most of my life was just spent really uh, hands on the skin, practical experience. Uh, which is invaluable, no matter what what you do. If you're creating products, if you're becoming a pro, that hands-on experience is really awesome. So that's who I am, in few words.
0: Perfect. That was such a great description. Could you tell us a little bit about when you first opened your spa? I know that was so long ago and and you Uh do so much now, but a lot of estheticians are apprehensive about, you know, first opening their doors and starting their business. What was that time frame like for you Hmm.
1: well you know I don't know if it was different then or not it's so hard for me to tell but in those days I used to work for Willa Hendrickson's and I had uh, about 350 regular clients and um, one of my clients was Christine Splichel she was a co-owner of Patina Group which is a huge restaurant group at the time I don't think they maybe still exist but I think they're purchased by someone else and um and she was telling me like, "Well, you're so good at this, you should open your own place." and I said, "Yeah, I just don't know about the business side of it." and she's like, "Well, I'll help you." So her and I basically became partners, and um this was right after nine eleven and because of her help, I was able we were able to raise over two point two million dollars to open our first place, so you need to you don't need to go that big. I actually sometimes regretted it that it was that big and enormous because it's just it literally consumes you. Um I think you the best way is to start slow and really learn. Be at a place where you can learn something substantial and have a mentor that can be open and they can teach you something. Um and then build up a little clientele before you open your own place, just to be sure that you can handle. All the overheads and everything that you need to do, um, and also, you know, it, it all depends. There's no right way or the wrong way. Some people are really happy working in an environment where they can just show up to work and then go home. It's a less stress. My estheticians were probably who worked for me the the most spoiled estheticians in the universe. I did everything, and I liked it like that. I provided products, ingredients, n- trainings. We had absolutely beautiful place to work. We went out we had fun. I mean, everything was encompassing, but you know not everybody's the same. Some people really like to be their own boss and don't worry about it. You don't need to go big you can you can have a room someplace um It's all about your clients, your relationship, and what you got to offer and um don't do it too early. make sure that you really, really feel confident and that you know what you're doing. And how would you know what you're doing? Do you have um concrete visible um success with your clients skin? So if somebody comes with you with acne skin in 6 months from now has that been reversed? It doesn't mean it has to be reversed just from what you're doing. It could be also in conjunction with a dermatologist or it doesn't matter what it is. But have that skin improved over a period of time and significantly, then you know, yes, I'm really good at this.
0: How long did it take you to kind of get that confidence where you felt like anybody who walks in my room, I can help them, even if it's not you know a hundred percent transformation? Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to get that
1: confidence? You know, I can't I don't know that I know exact time but it was at least five years of working five days a week. I was working at that time at Ada Gray and I was so new. I was really young. I was 22. Uh, All around me were super experienced estheticians. I don't think they even noticed me. I was just trying to learn as much as I can. And I think it took about five years when, you know, I don't know, I had thousands of years, thousands of hours of experience and hands-on. And all of a sudden, it's just so uh, effortless how that happens. You just literally look at somebody's skin and you say, I know exactly what you need, and I know exactly what I need to do to help you. I think that's why it's very important not to have a big ego. I think it's so important to learn to open to learning and not be so stubborn. And sometimes I think today, because of Instagram, which we're all on it because we have to be, it's so easy to get cocky. I, I could see that. I could see like this Instagram memes of like, well, just use some block. Well, hold on a second, uh, use appropriate some And then younger aestheticians get really upset. Well, it doesn't matter, just use a sunblock. block. Well, newsflash if you use a some block, they will clog your skin. You're going to lose that client. Why just not find the one that is appropriate for their skin? Because God knows we have 20,000 sunblocks. So you as an esthetician, you need to find just the one that would be good for them. Not hard. Maybe even 10 that would be good for them. So I think openness rather than just kind of following the herd. I I see a lot on Instagram. And I don't really get involved that much because now that I'm more of a brand oriented, I don't care to... Chase that, but I think if I was younger and I was really just starting out, I would have. But who knows? At that time, I maybe wouldn't have this knowledge, and maybe I would be doing the same thing. I have no clue. <laughs> you know, yeah, to
0: no, I know what you mean. It's, it's, there's, I would say, equal emphasis, it seems, on creating your Instagram account and creating content as there is with the skincare education. And it's tough because that's so important. We all need to market ourselves and it's where clients find us a lot of times. But I love what you said about bringing the emphasis back on the education and actually providing advice that's specific to the client.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes, I think I was I was scrolling to Instagram the other day and I just saw like so many different posts of, yes, how you need 20,000 products in layering. No, you don't. And for whom? I mean, somebody who's dry? You don't need to layer 20,000 products for somebody who's oily and acne. That's a complete disaster. So it's just like, it seems like we're following this herd instead of just saying, well, no, hold on a second. But it's very difficult to go against the grain. You know, it's very difficult to have a point of view. Um because I don't know. I, I feel like my generation was a little bit more revolutionary. I don't know. Uh, but I on the other hand, what I love about this new um uh, I, I have a lot of friends who are just young aesthetician and I love them so much. They're so educated and they're I, I feel like because there's so much more today. And we're so much more sophisticated. Their, their knowledge and education is so much higher. And I love that. Um, they know so much. Keep it going. It's awesome.
0: Yeah. No, I think the social media is it's uh, negative in some ways, but it's also pushing us to learn a lot more and inform people. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword there.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 100%. And you can find your own little, you know, group that you really enjoy and like.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I hope this question is okay. I don't know if um, I want to say go it in respect to privacy, but I think the whole A-list celebrity niche mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. What is that like for you? How did, how did you even go about, like, attracting your first celebrity client?
1: You know, I have to say, when I opened Kinara, that was not even what I thought about. I think it was just organic. Not at all. Well, first of all, at that time, prior to opening Kinara Skincare Clinic, I was working at Wah Hendrickson's and he had a lot of celebrity clients. He had Madonna and Naomi and all the, you know, those biggest models in the eighties. This is prior to models being full of fillers and Botox. Not that I have anything against filler and Botox, I have some Botox right now in my face. So just to be completely transparent. But this is the time, and you probably don't even remember that, you know, Christy Turlington and Naomi Campbell. And I mean, he had a lot of celebrities. Those celebrities kind of spill over to us who work for them. And after I left Ada Gray, I uh, went to work for Willa Hendrickson. He recruited me. And I was a top esthetician within six months. So I would definitely pick up some of his um, celebrity clients. And then when I left for Kinara, I had a lot of behind the Hollywood scenes clients. And today, still, they're my friends, my investors. So there are a lot of producers, directors. And so when I opened Kinara on an opening night, uh, lots of them gave their cli- uh, friends, clients gift certificates. And that's how I met Holly Berry and, um, and many other people later on, uh, Annette Benning and, you know, now Gal Gadot or so, so many different people. So it was really accidental, um, uh, that I had those behind the scene people who then would of course tell their associate, well, this is where I get my facial. Maybe you should do too. And then what happened then? Um, Oh, yes. And then we were invited to participate in the Oscar bag. You know that? Do you guys remember that? They had these crazy Oscar bags, and I think they just kind of shut that down because of some tax reasons. So every year, we would literally close Kinara Clinic and put like tents in front so you couldn't see it because we had so many paparazzi. And celebrities would just come in to get ready. And then a red carpet facial was like a mandatory every year in an in a Oscar bag. And, of course, I mean, that's a huge publicity. I don't care so much about that anymore. I, you know, that was – celebrities still, I think, bring a lot of business, maybe, or maybe not. But I think consumers is getting really smart. And what I mean by that, that just because Halle Berry likes red carpet, that doesn't mean you should just because she likes lactic acid well maybe that's not for everyone well okay lactic acid maybe for everyone but um you know i mean so i think consumers at large a little bit sick and tired of this kind of a celebrity endorsements and this is the kind of stuff that was uh that was very very important then i don't know if this is so much important today Uh, one of the aestheticians who worked for me, Candace, LA facialist, she has a lot of, uh, celebrities now and, and I, and I do think it's, it's nice and it's important, but I don't think it's all that. You can have an amazing career without having celebrities. Um, for sure. That's not, that's not what it's all about. Um, it's just that happened for me, maybe geographically. I was in West Hollywood, so it just kind of lends itself to that. But that doesn't really mean that that's what you're going to need to be extremely successful. Not at all. I actually have some estheticians who work for me who are so incredible. I mean, this esthetician just like, wow, you can do my facial anytime. And they don't have any celebrities. So,
0: Yeah, yeah. It it can happen. It cannot happen. You can have a lot of followers. You can have a celebrity client. And you can be a great esthetician on your own without any of that?
1: Uh, 100%. And, you know, a lot of times you will attract the kind of people that you are. Like, for example, if you like science, you might attract a lot of doctors and nurses, something you can have in common. If you love fashion, maybe you will attract people who are in the fashion business. We're all so different. And I learned that when I had Kinara uh, Clinic, and I at one time had over 15 estheticians working for me and eight massage there. Manicurists, and so many different people. Everybody had their own very distinct clientele.
0: Isn't that funny? It's it's really crazy how you kind of are a magnet for similar personalities. I always noticed that with the other estheticians I worked with, our clients were kind of a reflection of ourselves. Yes,
1: 100%. So you will always attract people who are like-minded my like like minded and who you have something in common, and you know chemistry is not just in a relationship, chemistry is also uh with your clients with your friends, so you will have a certain chemistry with certain people, and those will probably be your clients for life,
0: yeah, yeah, a question I have for you, Olga, I get this all the time, and i I know you just have so many years of experience. What happens if you have a client who you feel like you don't necessarily jive with? Have you had difficult experiences? And would you have any advice for estheticians who might be dealing with difficult clients?
1: Yes, I do. Of course, we all had those experiences, 100%. What I learned to do, and this is so personal, I am not a particularly patient person in, in dealing with people who I don't get along with. I feel like it's best to break those relationships as fast as you can. Because just remember, every time you close one door, you will open another. So sometimes just having those anxieties that the client can bring with them. And, and you know, there's all kinds of people out there. Some people, you know, so many people have their own baggage. And, and, and sometimes it's just not worth it getting into it and into the weeds, unless it's something that you really like to do. Other than that, I say, close that door, politely invite them to go see someone else, and the other door will open, and you will get somebody who is really fantastic and awesome. I cannot tell you how many times I've fired a client, many times. I literally would say, um, when I was at Lula Hendrickson's, I would tell them that, They can see somebody else. I would tell a receptionist to book them with somebody else that I will not see them anymore. And I have never worked for anybody who told me that that's not okay. And if anybody tells you, that's a really bad boss because you should have a right who you spend your, you know, 55 minutes with or 50 minutes with or hour and a half with. But um, And then when I was at Kinara, I also would fire clients and I would tell them that they can see one of my other estheticians. They would probably like better and you know what sometimes it would work out sometimes they would see somebody else and they would love each other it just wasn't right with me. I'm very black and white I'm very straightforward and um and i I don't like to play a lot of games and I think if the if the people were kind of skewed that way, that just wasn't gonna work and my treatment room is my domain absolutely you don't you know my clients were not allowed to run the show you know when somebody lays down in your treatment room and say so what i I want you to do today no i am an esthetician i'm the boss you're coming to me because you trust me if you want to dictate what's going to happen in a facial you're just going to have to go to someone else so that, that was my i mean but i can't say that that's right for everyone
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that advice because I think a lot of us feel that way, but we just don't know exactly how to say it. And we're worried if I close the door, something bad is going to come back to me, like a bad review or, you know, like some negative perception. But what you're saying is, is not to let that fear close you off from meeting somebody who's an even better match for your business.
1: Well, you know, if you... If you basically are very upfront, and if you say to the clients, you know, I was thinking about it, and every time you come, I have this anxiety, we're just not a good match. What are they going to do? Leave a review? Uh institution <laughs> told me we're not a good match, and I should see somebody else. Mm. I think that's kind of embarrassing for them. I, I don't know yeah. that, that, that that is a thing. Just be very upfront rather than being yeah. passive aggressive. That's my advice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, yeah. And if they do leave a review, so what? Don't let that scare you. So what? Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Olga, how about not necessarily a personality conflict, but maybe a situation with a client where they have a reaction or the treatment plan just doesn't, doesn't work out for them, which happens all the time.
1: Right. It's going to happen to anyone. I used to have this role at Kinara. We used to call people who used to work there the Kinara. S. Kinara was bigger than life, bigger than me, bigger than. It was such an amazing place, um, and you kind of had to be part of this group, right? And when I would hire assistants, I would always tell them, "Don't worry about it. Something will inevitably happen within first two weeks," <laughs> because. We always worked with a lot of active ingredients and, you know, they call me acid queen and, you know, it, those treatments, red carpet facial is not an easy treatment to do. We worked with salicylic acid and deep acids and Jessner peels. And um, nobody ever gotten burned, thank God. Um, we never worked with anything that was that severe, but things happen. You know, getting that just right ratio of, let's say, I'm just going to throw it out microdermabrasion with some um you know 2.75 ph in peel is not always an easy thing to do how long do you leave it well should i leave only should i only do seven minutes of microdermabrasion to a peel should i do peel first everybody's different and i taught my institutions to really customize everything so it takes a while and things will happen so you know it's fine. I was a kind of boss. If somebody was unhappy, I will refund the money. I will and then invite him again to either see the same person or somebody else. Uh, you know, and it, all that is very fixable. I just think very important not to freak out, call back, really take notes, and then just be honest and say, hmm, "I'm so sorry. This can happen sometimes." Uh, Anything can happen in treatment. I had a client once who was allergic to chamomile. I mean, how many people are allergic to chamomile? She was. So it can happen. People are to nuts, to chamomile, to peels. They can have reaction. They can, I mean, skin is unpredictable. It is one of the most unpredictable organs we're dealing with. And things will happen. Looking back, it was amazing how little it happened. I mean, looking back, I'm thinking it's amazing that we didn't have many more issues, but we didn't. So, but every once in a while we had issues and people didn't like it. Estheticians were always so worried, even when I was supportive of them. And so, but I mean, if something happens all the time, then you got to kind of look into it. What's going on?
0: I wanted to ask you about, you know, sort of prepping the skin and and home care. Did you have certain guidelines you you gave to your clients, either pre-treatment or post-treatment to strengthen the skin and, and get them ready to accept your treatments and have the best results possible?
1: So I think that what I would mostly do is examine how sensitive is their skin. So let's say if I knew the client was on Accutane or Retinol, I would want to make sure that uh, their skin is not sensitive prior to coming in um, and even then I would have to send them, send them home and say you know it's a little too sensitive, it's too red it's too peely, maybe we should postpone for a week or two um, other than that you know, it's so individual and client to client I, I of course always prefer that they come with a clean skin instead of me having spending time taking their makeup off but other than that not really. not really of course post care is important I would always give them a protocol uh, I wouldn't overdo with products I would always make sure that if it's a new client we start with one or two products and we build upon that so we know ex- I would always want to know exactly what is happening and so I can build a really comprehensive um, protocol for them
0: amazing yeah and I wanted to also talk a little bit About your reputation, loving acids. Mm. (laughs) How how do you use them in your treatment room? I know you have your amazing cheat sheet on your website that I was looking at, and I really recommend any estheticians listening to have a look at Olga's website because it talks about the acids. Olga, you have so so many that you utilize. Could you tell us more about your favorites and how you use them?
1: Yes. Well, I think you know my favorite is lactic acid. High, you know because for most skin types, it's one of the entry, I, I call it a gateway acid <laughs> you know, into many other acids. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was always very acne and I have a very thick skin. Um, and I was always looking for stuff that is very transformative. I have a kind of personality who's all in and I just want to know what works. And you can tell me stories about the product and I, I am always unimpressed. I just want to know, is it going to work? And I think this is what my um, love affair with exfoliants is, because they work, and I can see them work. Now that doesn't mean they need to be harsh. There needs to be a lot. You can use lactic acid that is higher in pH, and you can use it in a serum form, so it's really mild. You can use low pH acid and really exfoliate. Uh, salicylic acid mandelic acid i love them for acne skin i love combining um acid salicylic acid with retinols but all those percentages are really important i cannot tell you some of my clients with very problematic skin would be on three or four acids and retinol and their skin will be glowing and perfect and if i would just tell you on a surface you would say oh my god that client must be suffering. You you probably overexploit. No, all you would see is glowing, great, perfect, uh, you know, perfect skin. As, as a matter of fact, I have I am not there yet, but I think in the future I might do some of the classes for some institutions. This is really knowledge. I feel I only passed on to people who used to work for me. Um, but it it's definitely it's it's a hard knowledge to pass on because a lot of it is just kind of feeling your way through it. But there is a way how you feel your way through it. But I think the easiest thing that I can say, think of skin as onion layers, right? And outside is this kind of a dry, flaky, not always that great looking. But as you start to peel that onion little by little, inside is this moist, glowy looking onion, right? So I, I think I think using acids or retinol but I, I I actually prefer acids over retinol, and I think retinol is great. But I just, I just love acids. And I like to mix them all together. I think, depending how you use it, you never have to experience irritation or redness, maybe slight peeling here and there, which is good. And um, that's why. That's why I love acids, because through my career, I have seen such a tremendous transformation on most people's skin even on rosacea, even on a very sensitive skin. So um, clearly, as I also formulate a lot of product, I got deep into the pHs and percentages. And uh, But you don't need to even know. Don't be intimidated by that. Don't think, well, forget it. I don't know the percentages. And No, 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 no. It's okay. You can start with a nice, mild lactic acid serum for your client. Watch what happens. Maybe every second night, every third night. Retinol, retinoid, maybe just twice a week, you start them on a low level retinol, see what happens, kind of just go slow little steps and and go with that.
0: I like that you touched on rosacea with peels, because I think, Uh you know, there's, I think there is some misinformation that rosaceous skins can never tolerate a glycolic or a lactic or a retinol. Mm how would you not true not
1: true that? you know what it is this is such a difficult thing to do yeah because do i have a formula how to treat rosacea with with acids not at all so what am i really talking about i'm talking about that some of my clients with rosacea i would i would experiment with low levels of lactic acid of mandelic of phythic, or phytic um, or um malic acid so some really mild acids right on a kind of higher pH so they weren't too burny. And sometimes I would see incredible transformation. The rosacea would just kind of uh, go away for a while. And my clients would be amazed by it. On the other hand, it can also be a problematic using lactic acid because it's so uh, unpredictable. So you have to experiment if the client would let you a little bit, or they do it themselves a little bit. And, they say, well, do this lactic acid or this malic acid maybe once or twice a week when your rosacea is flaring up, and just use it on a tiny little portion of your skin and see what happens. You know, you kind of have to experiment because rosacea is what it is. We all know it's so difficult to treat. But what, what, what I also learned, sometimes certain acids, mild acids with rosacea, are way more effective than any rosacea medicine that I've ever seen. Literally. Rosacea medication versus acid has the same amount of success. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So ask any dermatologist, and they literally will call it, it's, you know, type of dermatitis, meaning we have no clue what it is. So it's very difficult to treat, but doesn't mean that you need to stay away trying to gently experiment and see what what happens. You'll be surprised.
0: Yeah, no, I agree because I think there's kind of this like general idea among consumers that rosacea equals you need to look for just calming, soothing, <laughs> moisturize. Yeah. But I think we a lot of we aestheticia- us estheticians who have training with rosacea, we know the mites can feed off of the oil. So if you're using acids to minimize the oil, it can be helpful
1: incredibly helpful yes mm-hmm. and also when you sometimes talk about yeah you look at using some of the moisturizers well, oils can be incredibly irritating for rosacea or any skin condition especially sometimes i mean i have even seen tea tree oils in in, in moisturizer treating rosacea probably one of the worst oils ever i mean I, tea tree oil never touches any of my client's skin because it can be very inflammatory oils and i love oils now that i'm older when i was younger and i had oily skin the no, because they can be very inflammatory. Sometimes it's better to use acids. It can really lower that inflammation. Um, and sure, of course, you can you can mix it with some common ingredients, no problem. Oats and and yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, the key word is estheticians, we're a little bit like gardeners. We have to, the more you work, the more experience you'll have, and you will, undoubtedly know what works and what doesn't. You will have your own formulas. They will inevitably work every time. It's going to take a while for you to get to that point. But also, we are a little bit like gardeners. We kind of throw some flowers out and see if they're going to grow. And your clients need to be ready to go into that kind of a journey with you. And when they do, and at least my clients what they did, I have to tell you, my clients are the most boring clients in the world right now because they all have a perfect skin. Literally, I sometimes have to tell them, "You need to bring me somebody with acne, somebody really complicated." And now that I'm not open to general public anymore, I I literally would have to ask. My daughter's 15, and she has um, she she has mild acne, and I would always say, "Bring me somebody from your school." But okay, that's just teenage skin. But sometimes I wanna. Have somebody who's older, sometimes I remember my days when I had a very complicated client and I wanted to fix their skin and sometimes that's missing because my client and over the years they have learned what to do with their skin. they're literally fabulous estheticians themselves, <laughs> so you know they're they know how to read ingredients they're they're just they're just good, yeah, but then that is yeah. fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. When it came to, to your acne, were there things you did that you found to be effective that you could share?
1: For me personally, you have to understand, this was 25 years ago when I had acne. And um, back in Yugoslavia, they used a lot of sulfur, and that was very effective. Um, but when I came here, no, um, my, my skin definitely got worse. And this is prior to retinol. And then retinol showed up prescription and I started using retinol and that was just a life-changing experience. And I was in retinol for 12 years. Um, and I would purge, I was red and I was peeling and I was one of the first person, the first wave of people who, who use retinol. So of course I had to do a lot of those, uh, I had all those experiences while even dermatologists couldn't tell me what's going to happen because it was just kind of a first wave. And I loved retinol. Um, it really changed my skin for the better. Um, within six months, my acne were gone. Um, but I was a really dedicated user. And um, I don't remember what else I used. I used I used a lot of stuff then from Olah Hendrickson's, but looking back, none of that was gonna help my acne. That was just really like you know, kind of feel good products. But retinol was definitely the game changer for me.
0: Yeah. And I think sometimes you don't need a ton of extra stuff. You can just let the retinol do its job. I was similar. That's right. I have used tretinoin for um, about four-ish years, but it was pretty pivotal in in managing my acne. Not to say like we use that, it's right for everyone, but it, was, it, I, it can be effective for sure.
1: I mean, it was great for me, and I. Yes, and I. I think lately I am noticing because there's so much more retinol product, different products, different Mm -hmm. versions, Um, and sometimes what I have noticed lately with some of the estheticians who usually call me or ask me for advice, or that some of these retinols are made really mild, so actually it takes the whole process. Of exfoliating much slower so if you have acne you actually start breaking out even more because you know you're not peeling that onion fast enough (laughs) just let it linger sometimes (laughs) when you really have acne, prescription, thretinoin is the best way to go and then you can switch to some milder versions once when you kind of over the hump
0: yeah and and we can leave that up to their dermatologist, it's not something you need to decide but That's where the referral could come in handy. Olga, how about your whole process creating products? I want to hear about how you got into it. Any stories you could share about failures or or what you've learned for somebody who's interested in also creating a skincare line?
1: Mm. Well, if I was going to start creating a skincare line right now, I would think twice about it. Because politics of skincare is very different than the love of products that estheticians have. Politics of skincare out there is ruthless. It's, it's really tough. And, and what you see today is lots of, what I call it, a wasted, under, you know, wasted product. If you go to Sephora, 80% of the shelves have no reason to exist. So, they're occupied by phony doctors, with phony marketing, um, with uh, celebrity lines where they definitely have no reason to exist. And so, it's kind of difficult. You first, I think it's a good question to say, what is it that I'm not seeing on a market that I could do better? I think that's the number one question. So, if you have an idea for something and you don't see it on a market, then I think it's legit. Uh, for me, I I love, I love research and development. I love products. And I always, anything that I have, I would look at it and I would say, either this is missing, like red carpet facial. When I made that, I was like, there is really no good at-home treatment. Now, I mean, red carpet has been duplicated and copied so many times. I'm sure there's like 50 different versions out there. But at that time, there was nothing like it. And I remember I was, I think I was doing, I don't know. I was actually doing one of the actresses' skin. Um, I I forgot who was it. Uh, Eva Longoria, maybe. No, maybe somebody else. And she was saying that she needs to go on a trip to Africa. And what is she going to do without her facial? And she said, you need to really pack this, like, peel, whatever you're doing that's burning my face right now. And then I went to my formulator, and I showed him what I was doing because I was actually having some peel formulated in, in a compounding pharmacy via my dermatologist. And I was using that as a – that was the original red Little It was compounded in a pharmacy. And I said, can you, can you duplicate this, what I'm doing right now here? And he looked what I was doing, and he's like, oh, I see what you're doing. Okay, yeah, I think I can. Um, and so that that's what it was. But prior to red carpet, my very, very first product was lactic acid hydrating serum. Because when I opened Kinara, I was already I think it was 30, I was 32 years old, and I was still always oily and congested. No more acne, but and I wanted a product that would be kind of anti-aging but hydrating but exfoliating <laughs> so lactic acid was a first product that i basically made for myself and there was nine times skin quencher and then it was red carpet so um uh, you know when i when i would do treatments i would think about what would i want to see my client use that's what inspiration my inspiration for product always comes from a treatment room in 100 percent um maybe now now i mean formulating so much, but yes, definitely. It always has a connection with someone's skin. I saw something. There's a problem that needs to be fixed. Um, and then, you know, it's a very expensive process. Uh, you know, you need to find a formulator who will take on. Uh, and, and when I was doing that, I think it was so much easier because my formulator was one of, probably one of the best in the world. He formulated for Skin Medica, for Shiseido. If you would go to him now with like, let's say one product, I think he would say no. Because there is so many brands with so much money. It's insane. And probably what esthetician will put in her product will be so much more superior than any of these brands. And this is what I'm saying. Politics of skincare. It's kind of a dirty business right now. It's not as fun as it used to be. Um... And so, if you if you really have a passion and desire, first and foremost, make sure that you have some funding behind you, because your minimum orders will be anywhere from five to ten thousand per unit, right? Don't forget, you're gonna to need to find a formulator. Formula is usually about nine thousand to produce per stew. Um, And then you're going to need a component. So you're going to need somebody to design your packaging. I never cared about it too much uh, until recently when I just decided to go straight into distribution, but it is important. Um, And then, of course, you have to find a manufacturing plant who increasingly having higher and higher minimums. It used to be, I used to be able to make a moisturizer for 3,000, but now it's 10,000, right? Getting, it's getting kind of a little bit more and more demanding and testing you need to do it right
0: i'm going through this process right now so this is all super valuable and it's it's a process you want to this is just good i think for people to hear because everybody wants to create a skincare line but there there's a lot of little pieces that go into this and mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking I could do this in a few months. Here I am a year <laughs> yeah. later. It just it takes a lot of time and patience and it's something like you're saying, you don't want to rush, you want to do your due diligence with the testing and and the
1: ingredients and all that. And then when you are professional and when you know what you're talking about, you think that, wow, I I created this product and it's really cool and it's very helpful. And I know that it's good. And then all of a sudden you learn that that means absolutely nothing unless you have some amazing marketing. And that's the most yeah. frustrating part. Uh, when I had a Kinara, and even when I, you know, made my place much smaller, I never had marketing, really, truly. So it's amazing that I got anywhere. This is the first year that I hired wow. marketing expert after all these years. And it's amazing. Yes, your sales go up through the roof you all of a sudden are really noticed. Uh, your, product is, your product is being noticed, actually. But that is so expensive. It is, it's mind-boggling. And, and yes, and then and then, as somebody who's an expert, you get kind of a little bit like, wow, I have something amazing. And then I have to endure some Antoine Bader with some completely BS marketing and product <laughs> that is worth 20 cents, but yet it's sold for $300 or, or, you know, so many just ridiculous brands with no reason to exist. Right. Because mm-hmm. what I do first, I break down the ingredients. If somebody tells me they have a patented formula, which is usually not true, I send it to my chemist to break it down. So, you know, it's a lot of uh, fake marketing. And then you, you're you against that. You're up against that, too. So you have to think about, Wow, so how am I going to market this so I can be true to myself and basically not lie? <laughs> that's a difficult mm-hmm. one.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, and keep people's trust. I think that's that's also true and it it's like it seems like every over the counter brand is coming up with something new all the time. There's even, you know, activewear brands who are getting into skincare because it can be profitable and you have your clients and your friends asking, is this good? What do you think of this? And so much of it really is the same and 80% of it is not going to do too much.
1: Well, I think that it's very important for a physician to educate their clients. If the person is not a skincare expert, they have no business making skincare. So for example, my clients are not allowed They're allowed to use Dennis Gross. They're they're allowed to use Skin Medica, Elastin. Um, They're they're allowed to use a lot of brands besides me. It's clinical, Skin Circles. They're not allowed to use random brands. My client will never buy a skincare from Kardashian or Jenner or, uh, you know, Jennifer Lopez. I mean, that's a pure exploitation of a client, of consumer. I mean, what... I mean, did you not make enough money of your movie? Now you have to make a skincare <laughs> line. I mean, these people know next to zero about science. So no. And I think it's the job of a to be very upfront to that and said, do not support that. It's not good for anyone. It perpetuates really bad business model. So um, I... I always prefer to buy everything from an expert. I would prefer to buy makeup from a makeup artist rather than from influencer who is a makeup artist. Um, So, you know, I love to give money where the real professional are. So education is a key. And I think if you start educating our clients, they really start to see that. They really start to see that. I asked somebody the other day who was on Instagram asking me about somebody. And I said, well, what do you think that person would tell you if you asked them, tell me about peptides? Mm -hmm. And they were laughing. They were—they probably never heard of it. I said, that's right. They probably never heard of it, but then you want to support them. And, and why would you do that? Your skin will suffer and just basically just support a professional. And if we would do that more often and really lean into the, The education, I think, the marketplace would be looking much different.
0: I totally agree, and it's it's at another level with the internet and with anybody can you know pretend to be a skincare expert online now, and it it gets very confusing to consumers. And it's like you look at the comments and they're they're tagging these people who are not experts who don't have the education. So I kind of share that frustration where I just. And it's not in a mean way where I'm trying to put anyone down, but I I want people to get education from the credible sources.
1: Well, but just think about it. You don't have to. It's not me. It's definitely not me. You are basically saying it's not any different that if you have a heart problem, you wouldn't go to a car mechanic. You would go to cardiologist, right? So why in the world would you buy a line from an actress Uh, sportswear line, Um, I I don't know. It seems like everybody's making a skincare line. I know. I I would say, you know, now, of course, there are certain companies who who have incredible research and development, like NTR, for example, or um, it's clinical, um, skin surrogacy. Well, since, of course, they were dermatologists, and now they're brought by L'Oreal, and L'Oreal didn't actually change that much in that particular brand. It's still good. Um, you know, so I always look who's behind. And uh, you know, you could see I'm very black and white. I do make fun of people. I do make fun of brands who's like, "Well, I started a brand because I was experimenting and putting fruits in my Vitamix. Okay, so then open a restaurant. But skincare, leave it to somebody a little bit more professional. And I think we need to come down a little harder. We can have some fun with it. We can joke about it. But it's a serious because, uh, you know, somebody recently who I really like, she's a, she's a nurse injector. She came out this really great product, and um, I support uh, my industry, of course. And then I was thinking, this is so wrong. This is an incredible product. Yet yeah, she's going to have a really hard time marketing this in the sea of nonsense. So less nonsense, more real skincare. It could do us all a lot of good.
0: One hundred percent. I totally agree, and I'm I'm glad you said it and said it with so much confidence. When it comes to hiring estheticians and and your You really do have an amazing staff, by the way. Everyone I spoke with over email was so kind and and caring. And I can tell you care a lot about customer service. And you can just see the effort you put into hiring people. How do you go about hiring? Are there qualities you
1: look for? You know, it's really hard because... Sometimes I would hire people who I was confident they would do an amazing job and it didn't turn out always like that. I don't know that I'm like the best uh, person who knows how to hire. I would usually, at know I had my lead esthetician hire all other estheticians. I only hired initially. But, you know, it's really difficult, uh, especially when you're hiring somebody who's an esthetician. I would usually have an interview Ask them about their philosophy, which is actually less important oftentimes than their practical. I would ask them about some ingredients, some basic stuff to see if they know. Just some basics, right? Because I also feel I I was also really heavily on that I will educate them. I also prefer to hire somebody younger who maybe didn't know as much so I can really educate them. Or I would like to hire somebody who is much older. Um, well, at that time, I was in my 30s. So I would hire somebody who was in their 40s. If I kind of agreed what, what they were doing, if I see that they were really amazing, well, then it was a done deal. Then I didn't have to do anything. They like literally, well, you know, I would put them on the floor and they were just super performance people, right? So it all depends how much time you have. How much do you want to invest in training versus do you want somebody with a complete set of knowledge? And just kind of do your way because you're going to have your way and you're going to want to have your estheticians do it the way you like it. So, um, but always make sure facial is a creative process. And I would have this rule that um, I would have, we would all go by my protocols for six months and protocols can then come off and then they can become creative. And I think this is why. My institutions were super happy. Well, they weren't my institutions. They were just my colleagues, and um, this is what we call it, Kinara-esque. That they were really, we were all really loving and enjoying the process. But honestly, I'm not like probably the worst person to ask about hiring. I made a lot of mistakes <laughs> because sometimes I just got by gut feeling, and sometimes, I'll, you know, I don't know. I would hire people that I really liked. And then sometimes people that I really liked as a as a people and personally didn't always do the best performances. My lead estheticians I had so almost nothing in common, and she was brilliant. So you know it all depends. Maybe a
0: better question to ask you would have been how how can somebody who's an esthetician go about getting a really great job such as working with you.
1: Yeah, well, I no longer hire estheticians, but I am open to anyone and everyone to give you advice or help you out. I I just love estheticians. This is the best field ever. You know, be confident. Never think that you are not good enough for the place that you want to interview. Never think that. Never think that. Because you need to go. You need to show your face. You need to tell them who you are. What would you like to do, and and it maybe it's a little tough today because you might want to work at a dermatologist's office and they're not going to respect you as much as somebody like me because to me, the uh, estheticians are the top of the top of the top on 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 beauty industry, right? I think the estheticians are the smartest, the best, the brightest, clearly. But you know, when you work in a dermatologist's office, that's not always the case. You're not always treated that nicely. It doesn't matter. Just handle it. Just learn as much as you can. Learn, learn, learn as much as you can and never think that you're not good enough to show up and show your face. It's okay. I love talking to anyone. Sometimes I couldn't hire really young estheticians who are right out of school, but I love talking to them. I could see the spark in their eye and I would tell them, circle back in a couple of years and lots of time I would give them a job in a couple of years. I love passion. If you have passion, your doors will be open for you. It might be a little hard. Listen, everything is hard in life. If it's easy, everybody will do it. Just just remember that. But learning and confidence will get you, will pretty much open any door.
0: Thank you so much, Olga. I think that is wonderful advice. And I hope everybody listening really takes that in. Olga, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, podcast. Tessa and guys. Good luck with everything.
1: <laughs> thank you. Where can we find you? Oh, wait. Oh, you can find me. I'm located in LA. And I do have an Instagram, Olga Lorenz's Skincare. And uh, you can always direct message me. I literally, I am not uh, beyond reach. And if you need advice, you can reach out to me. Um, and we still answer a clinic phone number. It's a kind of like a customer service. But reach out to me on on Instagram. I love to hear from estheticians. It's literally my whole life, and every all my success is because I was an esthetician. And and I, the rest of my life will be dedicated and, of course, for my brand. And when I have a little more time, really dedicating to helping other estheticians succeed, because we am certainly not in a in a competition with anyone anymore.
0: <laughs> no. No, good. So thank good you so luck much.
1: and and yes, and good luck with everything. That's a thank you. You're such a beautiful voice. I could totally see why oh. you're having a successful podcast. Thank you for everything.
0: Okay, oh, thank you so much.
1: Okay, we'll talk soon, guys.